0: hello and welcome to let's talk robotics i'm your host nikki and welcome wherever you're on the world listening to this it's my pleasure to introduce you to our robotics and ai community in australia In the coming weeks, I will be acknowledging the Premier, Principal and Lead Partners of the Women in AI 2023 Awards, which will be held on Friday, 16 June at the Art Gallery of New South Wales. These Valued WAI Awards partners have been invited to nominate an up-and-coming, inspirational young woman within the organisation, a rising star to tell their story. KPMG, a Lead Partner, have nominated Dr. Christina Kleinow. Christina is a strategic advisor on data-driven transformation and specialist in ethical risk management. Christina, welcome and thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. You started your educational journey at Queensland University of Technology and got your PhD, which focused on ethics and finance from HL Leipzig Graduate School of Management. Tell us a little bit about your journey, please. Yeah, cool. Be happy to. So
1: I started off, as you mentioned, in Brisbane Queensland and was doing a work placement alongside my bachelor actually and I had to model a wind power plant versus a coal power plant so this is back in like 2008 and all the models were limited to doing a concrete prediction of the next 10 years but then applying assumptions to roughly estimate out the following years based on that trend from the initial 10 years And that was one of the first moments where I looked at a model and I went, yeah, okay, but that's the assumption because that's the way we usually do things in finance. But we're talking about a 50-year investment. So really the first 10 years is the minority of it. And things might change significantly if we think about things like an incoming cost of carbon versus wind power continuing to be free. And that's a significant shift that's just not captured by the model. So if we let, a decision to be made just based on the way the model usually works it doesn't make sense we need to take account of what's actually going to change and what's not captured in the model so that was where i first started thinking like okay just applying a model might give you a clear cut yes no answer but it might also be the wrong one so from there i sort of just had this in the back of my mind really but observed like the global financial crisis and how we'd been relying on models that were very sophisticated but had certain underlying assumptions that led to this sort of systemic risk event in the financial system so it was a good sort of background for my finance studies at the time and i moved to germany for personal reasons as per the name got a german heritage and was keen to explore life over there and so that sort of was in the back of my mind but not you know driving an academic career or anything like that at that stage but i did have a great business ethics professor when i arrived in germany And had plenty of interesting experiences whereby I was sort of treated like a German because I did have a German passport, but I totally didn't fit the system because I'd never been there and I didn't speak the language. So I had all these kinds of processes where if you fit the model, they're very efficient and everything works great. But if you don't, then they're just not quite sure what to do with you. And it can be very detrimental. Like I actually had the issue where I was approved for... Study money to support my studies over there, financing. Um, but in order to actually get it paid out, there were certain forms that had to be filled out that I didn't quite fit. So I'd gone and agreed to, you know, start studying a master's full time and quit other jobs that otherwise would have been paying my rent, etc. Through this time, based on the approval, but then the money never came into my bank account. So it was you know, eventually obviously got sorted out, but um it was a very intriguing experience seeing how like vulnerable you can be to processes and decisions and bureaucracy. And so that sort of brought up that sort of ethics interest again. And basically off the back of the masters I kept in touch with that business ethics professor and he referred me on to my PhD program, which I ended up getting into. So That was where sort of the passion and the personal interest all then turned into like a potential actual career pathway. And yeah, that was a super interesting one where I got to think about finance and ethics and try and bring those two things together because a lot of people, like there were lots of very skilled business ethicists, but they all kind of said, well, all that super technical mathematical modeling that happens in finance, that's hard for me to assess as an ethicist. And then the finance people would say, yep, get the models, but all this sort of philosophical ethics stuff, not sure how to like bring those two things together. So it was a great opportunity to then find a finance professor and an ethics professor who were willing to say, okay, you're going to write a PhD about our combined topics and we'll somehow work together to actually grade that thing. So Maybe. that was the journey.
0: It's very interesting. I'm just thinking, uh, if you think of some of the behaviour of bankers and ethics, um, sorely missing. I think part of a lot of them should just be thrown in jail, keys thrown away, instead of governments bailing out these banks.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's an uh, it's an interesting one um, because
0: yeah, on the one hand. People are following processes
1: and using models. Um, but on the other hand, yeah, if you don't think about the why and how they're really being used, it can lead to very questionable outcomes. And it has to be the people using the models and developing the math who thinks about, well, what's actually going to happen when I put this out into the market? And yeah. the same applies to AI. So that was what led me into, because essentially, like the math's underpinning like the higher frequency trading algorithms in financial markets and that sort of thing. Um, as same you know finance has been one of the first applications really of very advanced sort of machine learning and that sort of thing um so all those kinds of ideas then can apply to other sort of non-finance ai applications
0: um just reverting back to your time in germany how's your your german now did you pick up some lingo and are you fluent? and yeah. Um, yeah yeah the the university actually teaches in english anyway so i believe it's Um, which that would have simplified that for you. Yeah, yeah,
1: I actually had to kind of work hard to try and get as many German language subjects into my schedule, uh, which was another one where I sort of didn't fit the mould. Everyone's trying to, you know, get into the English subjects. I'm like, no, running running into the German. Um, But yeah, no, fluent now. uh, Had to learn quickly between, yeah, getting through the bureaucracy and applying for university and uh, working alongside of it lots of different contexts practice in and yeah she's had to learn quickly it was good It was interesting
0: and do you recommend this experience for other students or other people thinking of studying in different countries at university
1: yeah definitely it's super mm. interesting very rewarding and um yeah you're guaranteed to learn a lot and make some good friends
0: yeah come back with a different mindset and you look at australia and you go mm. oh my goodness this is a land of milk and honey
1: <laughs> yeah this is true <laughs> <laughs>
0: So you've had an interesting mix of working in corporate as well as starting your own company. What motivated you to start to meet Transport? And tell us about it.
1: Yeah. So it was indeed like as part of um, the PhD, I did actually also do some consulting work with some of the investment banks over there. And um, to be fair, uh, we had a conversation about agricultural commodity speculation. And because around 2008 onwards, a lot of the as sort of the money had been going towards the mortgage backed securities in that whole area that ended up collapsing. So people were looking for the, the next big thing really. And agricultural commodities was one of those things. So suddenly a lot, a lot of money was pouring into that market. And like not to get too technical and finance oriented, but um, it's possible that the way that investing was being done did impact the prices for food in the real market because we saw a huge price rise in commodities and investors benefited from that and one of the things that made the topic so publicly relevant in Germany was because uh, a certain bank advertised like are you happy about the rising cost of food on bread bags for like bread being sold in supermarkets and that sort of thing and because simultaneously people in developing countries are literally dying because of this. Um, That obviously caused a media uproar that that's just not appropriate. Um, So that was what sort of brought the topic topic into the public eye. Um, But uh, long story short, it's difficult because the transactions are happening at such a like split second timing. It was actually all about the moments where uh, contracts are being rolled from one contract that was expiring into the next contract that needed to be bought. And so in theory, all that was happening in the financial markets was tracking the price. It wasn't influencing the price, but still because financial markets are an information indicator, it's very likely that if the price of the financial markets is going up, people in the spot markets are also saying, Oh, well, my price in three months is going to be so." in the spot market being the real market. Um, if the price of wheat is going to be so much more in three months time, I'm going to sit on my wheat, not sell it and sell it in three months' time. So those kinds of decisions are informed by what, what the financial market prices are doing. Uh, so there was definitely a concern that the, the amount of speculation was actually leading to the actual cause of the, the hunger crisis in many developing countries. And I was privileged enough to talk to the chief investment officer at Deutsche Bank about this at the time, like by the connections that um, my university had. And essentially, like, there was no disagreement with this question like we had a whole round table to discuss like whether it's the price rise was driven by financial markets and no one conclusively said no there were some people saying well look we don't know but if you can try to like compare like the the need to invest and speculate versus the need for people in developing countries to be able to buy food, that for me, it was a big enough risk that there was a price impact to say, look, we shouldn't be doing this. And ultimately, there was agreement that we probably shouldn't be doing this, but this is what's happening anyway. And everyone kind of walked away from that. And um, essentially, so the people who I met through this whole process kind of warned me, if you go into an investment bank as an ethics person, whatever the role is called, you're not likely to change anything. Uh, so that was actually what led to me starting the company, because I felt like, well, at least you know it'll be small. It's not Deutsche Bank, <laughs> but um, yeah. it's something that I can really feel like, okay, we're having an impact because we're working with uh, bike couriers, being uh, and sustainable logistics providers with uh, e-vehicles, uh, working exclusively with sustainable logistics um, for that software company, and trying to integrate them more into big, bigger logistics networks to sort of reduce the impact of uh, the yeah. the CO2 impact of the logistics uh, in cities across Germany so it was combination of my planned career path not quite looking as rosy um, and just having this idea having the opportunity um, you know a few things fell into place with you and know, meeting a developer who could help get it off the ground and that sort of thing so that was actually what took me into yeah software as a service business.
0: And do you think um, that experience has given you a different way of handling your job in corporate
1: yeah definitely so big corporate environment is definitely different but those skills that I learned of managing a team and dealing with conflicting in for interests and priorities and just sort of that agile software development process making sure you can bridge the gap between what the business is asking for and what the technical people are developing that sort of a skill set is still definitely what I use today and so that's been really handy and um yeah just that sort of understanding of, across the board of you know yes you're, you're a software company but you've still got to manage the budget you've still got to worry about the people in the team and how they're going and all that sort of thing actually directly translatable even if you are then in slight bigger structure in big corporate
0: well congratulations anyway and i believe anyone that's thought of the company and done the journey like there's so mm-hmm. many as you said, like you're the chief bottle washer, you know, you do everything yourself and getting to grips with um, understanding those complexities. When you go into a different environment, I think you're a little bit more aware of people around you and how they, they cope in their worlds.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's true. Uh, yeah. It aligns to the um sort of the Germany, Australia experience as well. Just having that perspective, because obviously KPMG is super international. So Bearing in mind that sometimes you got to get over a a cultural barrier or a language barrier with someone who's newer in the team or something like that, and um, having that perspective and respect of people doing things differently—it's definitely been a theme (laughs) across my life.
0: The the, the team building: How are we going to get along? Where are you situated? What country? Okay, we've got a Mm. completely different set of rules. How people do things there? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So ethics, uh, your PhD obviously focused on on ethics non-finance and, and you wrote a blog on ethics and AI. Um, tell So let's focus on, on your blog a little bit. Um, tell us a little bit, A, what motivated you to write this? Uh, that was actually just as part of
1: a previous consulting job um, that I'm sort of passionate about the topic. And it's one of those things that, People talk about like different definitions of ethics, and also different definitions of AI models. That's also a topic in itself. But well, if we focus on the ethics for now, um, yeah, essentially my previous boss said, "Hey, come on, you know about this stuff. Uh, try and write, take your PhD, but put it in a more digestible form and put it on the blog for us." So that was where that one actually came from.
0: I uh, actually, um, I was listening to a talk this morning um, about AI on the future and. Um, I'm sure you know the responsible um, AI network was formed last week um, in uh, yeah. yes, um, Rain as it's now known. And mm. um, do you think there's consensus amongst AI, the AI community, to say what ethics is?
1: I'd have to say no. <laughs> Often the debate is sort of more around the terminology as opposed to the real ideas underneath it. Uh, Like from the PhD point of view, I spent a lot of time thinking about, or do I pick sort of one school of ethics to align to, or do I try and bring in insights from a few of the major ones? Uh, Like for example, Aristotle kind of started off, or did, (laughs) very much did start off the virtue ethics uh, school of thought, and then in Germany, for example, you've got a lot of Kantian deontologists, and then in the English-speaking world, you've got more of contractual or utilitarian approaches, and utilitarianism is actually what underpins economics, modern-day economics. If you read the things of, like, we want the greatest good for the most amount of people, that's essentially always what we're doing in economics when we're optimising utility for across a group of firms or across uh, an economy so that's an interesting tidbit that like a lot of people don't realize that economics actually developed from ethics and trying my phd was a lot of like trying to bring it back together and put the ethics back into the maths type thing Uh, but so in terms of different schools of ethics there's definitely different approaches out there and um, when it comes to particular applications for responsible AI or ethical AI, because again, we have the terms of like trustworthy AI as well, all really trying to talk to the same thing, um, but can put yeah, we can definitely put different labels on it. And in terms of consensus versus the differences, I I actually always say like so long as we're talking about ethics or responsibility or trustworthiness in some form, like we're on the right track. And we definitely actually shouldn't get lost in splitting hairs about the different terms or the potentially different approaches. Like obviously at KPMG, we have our approach to responsible AI and that's based on collaboration with the US and and with Europe for our um, team. So it's not just my PhD into the practical terms, but I also then get to bring in my sort of view from that PhD experience. So everyone's approach to ethics really is sort of slightly evolved from where they've come from and which terms resonate with them. So there's no 100% consensus, although there's various um, regulations that are getting drafted like across the globe, that's sort of, that's where sort of ethics becomes solidified into some of those core points that we want to have written down as law. So there's definitely moves in that direction. Uh, but I I would say there's no one definition as such and so long as we're working on it so long as we're thinking about it like that's okay really
0: yeah as long as there's some keywords in it in terms of Australia yeah. there's a lot of work being done in AI by a lot of group of people now uh, how do you think we've placed in terms of mat- our maturity um, understanding and applications and maybe particularly in companies such as KPMG
1: yeah I mean I definitely appreciate some of our team members who are really at the forefront of some super interesting AI models and applications. And that's also why they come to KPMG, to be able to see a range of different things and draw on that experience and bring it all together when we're sort of helping clients. Um, Australia in general, we're probably still not quite as uh, up there with sort of Europe and the US, like those bigger places. They also just have more data. Um, They, yeah, there are sort of more advanced applications of AI or across Asia. I also actually definitely can't um, undersell how advanced, like definitely like the Asian financial sector is in their uses of AI. Um, But uh, that's also, I think, a, a super opportunity for us To be able to learn, like not being the first mover on something, is actually uh, quite an interesting place to be in. And also, for example, when it comes to the legislation, you know, we can look at what's being drafted in Europe, and that will definitely help inform ours. You know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel every time. Um, So there's like absolutely super uh, cutting edge things happening, probably overall across the board. You know, we aren't in that same kind of position as Europe and Europe, uh, USA, but definitely some yeah very interesting things happening definitely uh, enjoy the exchanges with colleagues at kpmg who also do and you know come to um, sort of my team for the specialty on responsible ai and they say hey we're thinking about doing this and we're working with that client what do you think about that and um yeah it's great to have those kinds of exchanges and keep up with like the newest uh applications that people are working on yeah i
0: think with appointments have- just Stella I'm in the space, I I think we're definitely heading in the right direction. Um, mm-hmm. I agree with your. It's a bit like robotics. We, you know, we just not at the top of the list in terms of what we're doing in the world, but at least there's movement, and we we are um, progressing.
1: Yeah, definitely, and uh, yeah, progressing all sort of viewpoints on it at the same time because like my role within the data and cloud team at kpng with taking that more sort of data science approach to it and really understanding the models mm. and at the same time how to use them responsibly but we do work with for example the legal team that's on the cusp of you know what all the regulatory developments are and um with the internal audit team quite frequently because they are sort of the first ones who find themselves being asked by clients like oh been doing this AI application. What do we need to think about here? Like, what do we need to worry about? Where are the risk controls? And done um, a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's great. It's like one of the first topics that we're really seeing like a sort of one KPMG collaborative approach to, which is really, really cool. And as part of that, KPMG is even also working alongside um, the UTS Human Technology Institute. Yeah. So they're. Um, led up by Ed Santo, who was a former human rights commissioner. So they've got that particular sort of human rights lens to making sure, like those kinds of things like I mentioned in the, at the outset where you know I was in this governmental process that where I didn't fit the mold, like yeah. our government is using AI to make decisions. How do we make sure that we don't have those kinds of scenarios that someone who doesn't fit the mold doesn't get a fair chance? Um, so bringing all of those different viewpoints and specialties in the topic together is uh yeah a really interesting place to be at the moment
0: so a little bit more personal do you have a mentor yeah no
1: ash probably not exactly good question i probably should really (laughs) um but i guess also having had the different sort of career paths i probably have different mentors from different areas of my life because i am still in touch with my phd supervisor the ethics professor in germany Um, and then at the same time, within the KPMG context, I've definitely got a couple of more senior people in the team who guide me through and, um, yeah, always provide, like, a good sounding board, particularly on the corporate side of things and how things work in a big corporate, because I still haven't been doing it that many years, really. And, um, yeah, who are great at just sort of providing that encouragement, really, to um, pick up a topic like this uh, no one's exactly 100% sure how to do or what to do with it or how it fits in with the KPMG structure, for example, and just saying, okay, you take it, you own it, go and make what you want of it. Um, so that's, that's really cool. So definitely some important people, no one specific mentor who I'd name, but yeah, you definitely need some people to be guiding you through and providing the, the support and the motivation at times.
0: Listen, it sounds as though you've got an ethos of everyone's a mentor of sorts that that comes across your path because, you know, inevitably, if we're open to it, we can learn from everyone you talk to every day. It just depends like yeah, what your mindset absolutely. is about it. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So touching on the women in AI, which, of course, KPMG is a, is a um, lead partner here, um, why do you think this recognition is important? Yeah.
1: I mean, the obvious one is that it's still more of a male dominated field and so we have to just break down those barriers and things like the women in AI awards help with doing that and yeah it's a very interesting ethics topic essentially that diversity like when it comes to literally ethics in AI one of the specific points that we talk about is what kind of implicit bias would be in the model like the main source of bias that people are sort of generally aware of these days is where you've got bias in the data that's training the model. But there's also like what what use cases are we even choosing to develop AI models for and whose problems are potentially being neglected because we've got, for example, middle-aged white males developing all of our models. The problems of middle-aged white males are going to get solved. So um, increasing that representation of women in AI is one point to actually target that potential source of bias in the first place. And uh, yes, I mean, you can argue that women are more inclined to get into the soft topics as opposed to strictly mathematical topics. So I would be one of those people who advocates that bringing that aspect of diversity in will also be helpful for broadening the thinking about whose other needs might have, who might else be a minority group if we sort out the topic of women there's plenty of other actual minorities where women shouldn't even be a minority you know um, plenty of minority okay. groups interests who is still uh, yeah need to very actively work on having their needs represented
0: yeah needs so ad- advice to anyone thinking of applying and i i asked you offline i <laughs> um, have you applied so i'm not gonna <laughs> question again <laughs> yes. but advice to women thinking what would you say to them
1: yeah definitely go for it. I know like one of the main things where if I've got so we call them counselees at, at KPMG but any team members who I might be giving advice to um, for most of the females I do often have to say like get out there and don't be polite to in terms of Talking about what you've done and taking credit for things, because we're very inclined to sort of talk down what we've done or yeah, say, oh, it was a team effort, even if maybe you really did it. So um definitely don't think like you don't qualify, or there's someone else out there who's more qualified. Don't even think about that. Just throw your hat in the ring and you'll find out.
0: That's great advice. And you've touched on something that's quite interesting, is is women downplaying their achievements and that's as though. Um, I was at the award ceremony last year, very grateful to be there. And it's absolutely fantastic. And what was noticeable to me was by and large, all the women who received an award went up and said, um, thank you. Like I couldn't have done this without my team. And I wanted to eventually say, listen, ladies, you could have Mm -hmm. like, this is your award. You can just own it. You can just say, thank you. This was hard work. This was Mm. many family dinners missed this was a lot of sacrifice on my part and it's a you know i acknowledge teams like there's a there's a place to acknowledge Mm. them but if you're winning the award then and this is to all all the um winners for this year please just acknowledge just (laughs) just own it it's your award so it's a it's a particular female trait that i think we have Mm.
1: yeah definitely and I mean, it's a yeah. nice one, but in the context of needing to get yourself through the, the corporate ladder, uh, it's one that we have to just sort of put on ice for a moment and, or in the right context. And, <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, and no one's not saying you're not wonderful and you're not nice, but you can just say, listen, thank you. This is my award. Now there were yeah. people that contributed, but this is my work. But anyway, so let's, let's yeah. hope this year it's not going to be like that. Any closing advice or insights you'd like to leave our audience with? I think though that's actually the big
1: one, like whether you're applying for the award or just in your day-to-day work interactions, you know, don't hesitate uh, to put your hand up for things. Don't think, oh, I'm not sure if I'm qualified for this because so often like the fact that you're questioning that really uh, speaks for your suitability for taking on a responsibility. So there's always going to be something where maybe you need a, ask someone a question but just because you haven't 100 planned out the task and know you've done it 12 times before doesn't mean you shouldn't be putting your hand up to do it so whether it's applying for the award or just any day-to-day work interactions like if you hear that voice going oh i'm not sure if i'm qualified or maybe someone else will be better just ignore that one
0: Oh, I think that's great advice. Listen, ladies, every all all the ladies out there listening to this podcast today, please take that advice on board and do it. I think, um, and you know what, we do ourselves a disservice because what's the worst that can happen? Someone can say no. They can just say, listen, you're mm-hmm. not suitable at the moment, but when another opportunity comes up or, A, hey, I didn't even know that, that you were interested in this and not speaking mm-hmm. up yeah it, we yeah. we actually shoot ourselves in the foot
1: yeah and the same thing probably applies to pay rises whenever we're debating oh is it too much just just add another couple of percent and then then ask because <laughs> again that's,
0: what's the worst that can happen <laughs> that's it you have to ask and uh, quite frankly you just have to be a little bit pushy that's it like mm. you just you know you just have to fight for what you want so very good advice we'll leave it at that today christina thank you so much now should our audience have any other questions for you where what's where's the best place for them to reach you yeah happy to for anyone to reach out via linkedin or on my kpmg email that can be shared super i'll put that in the show notes thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure meeting you i'm sure i'm going to see you at the awards night and mm. uh To our audience, thank you so much for joining us for another episode and I look forward to your company next week. Christina, thank you and have a great day. Thank you, you too.